Welcome to the PacSex Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 41 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? Doing well, Mary. This is certainly a busy time of year. Lots of projects going on, but uh, we keep uh, plugging away. We keep plugging away. It's busy on so many levels, including for news, Max. Um, I'm kind of stunned by the kind of volume of content that we're producing and the traffic these days, which is uh, an otherwise kind of slow time. So um, interesting, but n- no rest for the weary, Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good kind of busy. Yeah, yeah. But before we get started, I would like to thank eGate Solutions for sponsoring this week's podcast. We all want happy passengers. They buy more and they're likely to be more loyal to your airline. But delivering a positive passenger experience is hard when you're relying on legacy systems and manual processes. eGate Solutions provides the technology behind onboard services, connecting and automating every step of an airline's operations from the warehouse to the passenger. With eGate, you can spend less time and money on the process and more on optimizing the passenger experience, which really is what we are all in the business of delivering. Visit eGate Solutions online at www.egate-solutions.com or email them at info at egate-solutions to learn more. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today. Michael Dennis is a longtime industry consultant. He has 29 years experience in aviation, aerospace, defense, rail, high-tech, and software industries, and has become a regular commentator on aviation maintenance repair and overhaul work and flight tracking initiatives, among many other topics. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Mary. Michael, glad to have you with us. Why don't we jump right in and take a look at some of the PaxX news stories that are making headlines. First, GE Aviation has launched a configuration data exchange for the aviation industry, working in partnership with Capgemini, which Michael is affiliated with. This exchange aims to drive asset productivity and maintenance optimization across the aviation ecosystem, which in turn will have knock-on benefits for passenger experience. Michael, can you break down this announcement for the layperson? What will this exchange do for the industry? Uh, Thanks a lot, Max, and uh, thank you, Mary, for uh, the interview. So the configuration uh, data exchange is designed to address a long-standing problem, uh, a very costly problem within our industry, which is the exchange of sensor uh, maintenance and content data within the ecosystem player. So you have manufacturers, uh, airline operators, maintenance organizations, lessors, insurers, all who need uh, the configuration of an asset to accomplish certain things like um, predictive maintenance, maintenance schedules, uh, reliability, regulatory compliance. Um, Before we get into the sort of the specifics, just to give you uh, a bit of a feel for the uh, size of this problem, uh, a few years ago, ISTAT, the International Society for Transport Aircraft Tracking uh, or Trading, conducted a study that determined that over the past 20 years, uh, 1989 to 2009, the cost of dissimilar technical information cost the industry $7.28 billion. So this is about a half a billion dollars per year going forward. The uh, A4A has uh, done multiple studies and IATA has done multiple studies showing that delays and cancellations Cost the industry about eight point three billion. Uh, if you break that down, just looking at, at uh, the maintenance and technical aspects, which is about fifteen seventeen percent of the uh, incidence of 
uh, delays and cancellations. That's about 5.3 billion globally. So we're talking about a multi-billion dollar issue. And at the end of the day, this all gets passed on. Um, there's no line item in your passenger ticket that says cost of inability to transfer technical content. <laughs> uh, all of these costs ultimately get passed on to uh, passengers. In addition, obviously, there's um, PACX experience issues with delays, cancellations, uh, aircraft swaps, things of that sort. So it's a, it's a very big issue within the industry. It definitely sounds like it, Michael. Can, can if I just jump in and ask, um, you know, essentially, how is Capgemini then assisting in this project kind of specifically? What, are you kind of helping to lead it or working in tandem with GE? How is that working out? So, um, good question. Uh, Capgemini and, and GE have a, a very long-standing uh, relationship and actually a strategic partnership around um, with GE Digital. Uh, GE Digital is building what's called the Predix Cloud uh, solution, which is bringing modern technology and capabilities such as predictive maintenance, predictive uh, airport operations to the industry. And Capgemini has been a strategic partner in building Predix as a platform. Uh, what this announcement is basically discussing is um, as we go to market with the various GE business units, GE Aviation being one of them, we are partnering to design, build, and deliver this capability to the industry. Okay. So we're a strategic delivery partner. And will uh, essentially – can any operator opt in then? I mean we, we, we actually uh, – did an interesting piece about how this could uh, impact the business aviation community, uh, particularly uh, f- fractional ownership uh, operators if they have kind of disparate fleets. Um, can anyone opt in? I mean, I guess uh, who, who are the players we should be keeping an eye on? So uh, a lot of times people think GE Aviation, they think uh, avionics and definitely engines. Right. Uh, this solution is, is not uh, specifically focused at uh, engines. Matter of fact, the, the initial discussions with airline operators and MROs have been around landing gear and non-GE physical assets, things that they don't sell. So it is uh, focused on being a what we call nose-to-tail solution and is applicable to uh, any asset, whether it's uh, general aviation, biz jet, or commercial or, or okay. cargo, and military. Um, you do point out an interesting fact. If you look at uh, most people in the commercial airline side, discount the, the biz jet market to some extent and the helicopter market. But if you look at net jets, they actually have a more complex configuration management problem and a data exchange problem with FBOs than the average commercial airline. Uh, NetJets has 53 different aircraft type model series and, you know, with customizations, probably three times that in different configurations. So their problem is actually much more complex than the oh. average airline. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, yes. So is the way to look at this as it being a data interchange standard and is this a proprietary solution or an open solution? So we are uh, we are definitely focused on enabling and advancing uh, several industry standards. Uh, obviously, the compliance to uh, ATA Spec 2000 and the legacy content uh, standard, which is uh, iSpec 2200. But most of the more encompassing data standards and interchanges are coming out of uh, the European uh, ASD. 
So on the content side, that's uh, S1000D. On the what we call a digital thread and feedback, that's um, S5000F. Now, the, the 5000F is definitely a less mature standard. Uh, for, uh, issue 1 came out in September. But the uh, it's really interesting because the uh, applicability of what they're focused on is not just moving configuration data back and forth, but also contractual uh, like maintenance reserves, uh, financial, uh, and insurance information. Hmm, interesting. So uh, it, it's interesting. I had a, uh, interesting conversations at GE Minds and Machines uh, a couple weeks ago around some of the applicability of this technology to other mandates, uh, such as the IKO GADSS. And the technology, uh, GE also uh, announced a uh, partnership with uh, Teledyne using their ground link capability. Traditionally, we've been bandwidth constrained, right? Uh, ACARs, uh, type B messages are very small, uh, can't pass all the information that aircraft are actually generating. A lot of talk around uh, moving that to uh, satellite or cellular uh, and using um, type X uh, which is an XML uh, messaging standard, to move the full fleet of data. How this sort of plays into the GADSS, or potentially plays into G, uh, GADSS, is the same technology and the same algorithms that will determine health of a component or health of an engine or health of an asset in the cloud on Predex is potentially the same technology and algorithms that will be able to determine the the four mandated states of an aircraft. I know the 2018 mandate is just uh, 15-minute position messaging, but eventually I think the 2022 mandate is all new aircraft will be able to determine its health and uh, potentially transmit, based on which stage it is in, the full black box data. Well, this leads into uh, an article in the Runway Girl Network uh, on this topic. Uh, we, we see that Iridium is looking to launch its next generation uh, satellites, a constellation, um, and help airlines meet this uh, GADSS mandate outlined by ICAO. Uh, do you think, Michael, that airlines have a preference for position report flight tracking solutions that would be supported by the Iridium Next? Or do you think they'll look more towards the space-based ADS-B uh, facilitated by the payloads on those satellites? So, uh, interesting question. I think what the industry is looking for is uh, synergies in capability and highest return on cost within the context of what is being mandated by regulations. So, uh, ADSB is really focused on uh, next-gen ATC or CSAR and the advantages, eventually the advantages that airlines will get from free flight. Whether it's the uh, ADSB uh, out only, which is mandated, or in, which uh, is not mandated, but uh, eventually when you get the, the new uh, ATC capabilities, they'll definitely want to do that to enable free flight. So there's synergies on the ADSB side. A lot of my conversations with, I'll, I'll call it the communications piece, getting any kind of data, whether it's flight data, ATC data, component health data, on and off an aircraft in flight, 
um, there are multiple channels. There are satellite channels. The IFEC vendors are, are bringing to the industry new channels. So I think that airlines are really going to focus on uh, the biggest bang for the buck. I have to do X. What else can I do? It's sort of the same discussion that uh, GE Aviation is having both with Teledyne and uh, the component side of GE Aviation in that once I've once I have to do something such as such as GADSS, what else could I do with that communication channel? So this is uh, this is kind of interesting, uh, Michael. And we've talked about it in the past. Obviously, as you say, the in-flight entertainment and connectivity crowd, cabin the cabin guys, um, obviously believe that if you have kind of a broadband pipe, it's a more efficient venue for a lot of this information. Um, but then, of course, you have the likes of Iridium and Inmarsat that believe um, that at least for the foreseeable future, um, and with lots of very good reasons for why that um, L-band will be where the kind of truly safety services are going to remain. Um, And then kind of virtually everything else could get pushed over KU and KA. But there seems to be a bit of disagreement as to where that line is drawn. And I understand that they're trying to kind of define now exactly um, what safety service entails kind of in this new world order. Um, what are you f- hearing in, uh, from industry? Do you think that we really are kind of going to stay L-band for, for truly classic safety? And then pretty much everything, you know, all the way up to, say, non-safety A-cars will get pushed over the broadband pipes. Um, uh, again, I go back to the, uh, you know, Iridium is, is launching a whole new series of, of uh, satellites. Uh, they're going to have to make that business model financially work, which is a volume-based business. The more more data I move across any of these channels, uh, the lower the cost is going to be, with the exception of bandwidth constraint, which is uh, classic ACARs. Right. So, I, again, I think that preference of, of communications channels, and you also have to remember, you know, there's a seat of play in this, uh, an air rink play in this, in that once I get it to the ground, I need to distribute it to all of the players that need whatever data that may be right which is the the role for um CETA and, and rockwell and, and honeywell as well now uh, that imarsat has uh, made them um a value-added uh, partner on uh, on the swift broadband and, and indeed satcom direct in the business aviation world although satcom direct recently told us they, they have the freedom and flexibility to to offer it um to commercial so it is fascinating to see that there that that duopoly is now kind of uh, coming to an end, this CETA Rockwell duopoly and safety services, um, uh, which I guess takes us down an entirely different path of a conversation, <laughs> but it is, it is fascinating how it's all working out. Um, but just very quickly back to Iridium then, um, you know, they, they're pitching Iridium next. I mean, I, I, do, I do see what Iridium is saying insofar as they're saying, okay, look, we can support your kind of what would be considered your, your classic flight tracking solution, your position reports every 15 minutes or, or even more every minute, um, obviously. Um, and also, of course, at the same time, um, through the Arion joint venture, being able to support space-based ADSB. Um, but do you think that this is kind of, um, I guess, do you see Iridium kind of on the march now if Next actually launches in, in say, the coming months? Will this provide a really viable competitor, do you think, in the marketplace to 
Imarsat, which is uh, enjoys quite a dominant position, do you think that this is viable here? Uh, definitely viable. Uh, I think it's a they're in a market share race, mm-hmm. uh, and I go back to the the more de- it's a hammer looking for as many nails as possible. Okay. Uh, the the more uh, uses and and uh, the more data they pass uh, makes their business model work out. If they can't add the value-added capabilities uh, for passing that data or there's cheaper routing, then um, no, it might not survive given their mm. market share. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it strikes me as uh, kind of an inter- interesting situation in that uh, all of this, doesn't this all boil down to transmitting, collecting, and analyzing in-flight sensor data? And uh, we have a lot of different kinds of data, a lot of different kinds of information used in different ways by different organizations. And bringing some rational approach to all this, uh, I think, is going to be potentially difficult because there are so many competing interests involved here. Is that kind of the way to look at it, Michael? Uh, Yes. Uh, I'll also um, say that all the data that uh, everybody talks about the gigabytes or half terabytes that uh, modern aircraft generate today and the potential use of that data. Well, first of all, 80% of that data is white noise. It's a system saying, I'm working perfectly f- uh, fine. Transmitting that data in flight is very costly, even even in the future with the, the cheapest satellite connections. So we're not going to uh, again, I go back to you know what we're focused on at uh, GE and Capgemini is what data do you need to transmit and when do you need to transmit it? Hmm. Um, I don't know how much uh, your listeners are in tune with what's called the uh, Internet of Things or Industrial Internet, uh, but there's really three layers of data processing, management, and communications. There's the edge, like my phone or a tablet or your washer and dryer or my uh, ice box that's supposed to tell me when I'm out of eggs, right? There is the um, the cloud where uh, the cost of data processing is is elastic and, and is the cheapest. And in between, we have uh, what Cisco calls the the fog, which is near asset. Uh, you have to the uh, again the the what we're focused on with uh, GE and Capgemini is where should you do which processing for the most operational and financial benefit. Hmm. and then transfer things between nodes uh, when it makes sense. Yeah. You know, the Teledyne piece of that is, well, once I get to the ground, the cheapest way is through uh, Teledyne ground link. And from there, I can send it to anybody you know, over the internet near free. So wait till you uh, determine the health status, like GADSS, what, you know, what health status and what's important to move in flight, What's the best channel of moving that data because data transfer is so expensive? And then keep everything else and transfer it You know, once you hit the ground and, and distribute it to whoever. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Mary, I'm thinking that uh, with this kind of capability in place in the future, it just opens up all kinds of possibilities that impact the passenger experience that we probably can't even imagine right now. I know, I know. It really will. And, and you know, it can be some of the the littlest things as well, Max. You know, I remember speaking with a company called Contron at, at one of these recent exhibitions, and they said uh, they're looking at 
kind of slapping sensors on, say, stuff like life jackets and portable in-flight entertainment units and even potentially in bathrooms. So if you can imagine you're sitting in, in your aircraft seat, uh, you're on a large wide-body aircraft, you need to use the lavatory, um, imagine being able to check and see, oh, there's a lav now open. You know what I mean? Right. Like very easily, then you don't have to go wait in line. All these little things and a lot of things that haven't yet even been thought about yet. You know, I think we're only limited now by our imagination. We're certainly not limited by technology um, at this juncture. So it's a very exciting time. And and Max, this is exactly the reason why we're actually talking about it here on the PaxX podcast because we want to stay ahead of, of how this may affect passengers down the road. And, and the things that Michael uh, is talking about I mean, improved, you know, improved maintenance reporting, number one, is such a big one for the passenger experience, um, you know, because it, it means, it can mean that you might get to your destination on time versus being grossly delayed. So yes. it's, it's kind of, it all comes full circle and it's the reason why, yeah, we're talking about it and focusing on it. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, let me just uh, jump in on the pa- uh, passenger experience and, and passenger expectation. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I live in Atlanta and I, fly international a lot. Nothing uh, is worse than not meeting expectation, right? So if, if I fly a low-cost carrier and I don't have IFE, uh, I know that, right? That's yeah. the experience that I'm buying. But if I uh, buy a, if I fly a premium airline and I, and I am in business class or first class and the IFE doesn't work, not meeting that expectation is worse than not having the expectation in the first place. Hmm. Right. Uh, uh, the uh, obviously there's uh, dispatch reliability and punctuality aspects uh, that come out of this technology, but uh, just think about uh, the airport experience being a highly synchronized dance. You know the IATA uh, what is it uh, 753 bag tagging mandate uh, where we're putting RFID and and uh, again I'm in Atlanta I fly Delta a lot. Uh, the app that they just came out with that based that actually shows at each point uh, where my bag is. Yes, yes. Uh, so again, reducing the cost, which is in the hundreds of millions per year, which to some extent will get passed on to to passengers, as well as the uh, experience of the guaranteed that my bag is going to uh, show up within twenty minutes and it's not going to be lost, is a huge benefit to the pack X. All right. Well, why don't we shift gears a little bit and as our last topic, talk about Delta Airlines and the fact that they've banned a passenger for life after he was engaged in a rather loud, vulgar tirade about Donald Trump in front of passengers. Uh, This rant was caught on tape, as is just about anything that happens these days. (laughs) And uh, so, too, was the crew's lack of action at the time. Uh, Mary, what's the latest from Delta on this incident? And uh, how have flight attendants been reacting to what happened? Well, Max, you know, this is kind of really and truly uh, an unfortunate situation and speaks volumes about the kind of very tense environment we found ourselves in post-election, which we addressed a little bit on the last podcast. Um, But yes, we're definitely in a tense environment and even Delta uh, confirms as much as well. Um, The video emerged showing the passenger shouting Donald Trump and swearing we got some Hillary bitches on here in a a threatening way. Pardon my French. Um, It's easy to see why passengers and crew felt intimidated by this man. I can totally understand it. And a lot of us have put ourselves in that situation. What would we have done in that cabin with this guy losing it? Um, But passengers have been removed from aircraft for a lot less 
including the color of their skin. So it was rather curious that the man wasn't escorted off the aircraft. Um, but Delta CEO Ed Bastian has issued an internal memo kind of explaining things not only to employees but to the world. And uh, he suggests that the crew actually didn't witness this particular rant. And had they seen it, had they seen what was shown in the video that emerged, um, that there is no question that the man would have been removed from the aircraft. And in that memo, as you say, Bastian also vowed that the offending passenger will never again be allowed on a Delta plane. Now, I have to say personally, I think Delta undoubtedly did the right thing here in terms of addressing the situation in this in a very serious manner, uh, banning the passenger, which really sends a message to other passengers to act civilly at a time when, as you know yourself, Max, and we've talked about it in the past, unruly passenger incidents are on the rise. Right. Um, and also it sends a message uh, to crew to not only address bad behavior, but also that management has got your back. As a frontline employee, that's really powerful. And you know, crew uh, at, need to know that if they act, that, um, that, that management is going to support that action. And, and there's, other, there's plenty of instances where that doesn't happen. So I thought it was such a powerful message for Delta. And I can tell you that I count a number of flight attendants as friends, and they've viewed the man's actions with complete disgust. And they were horrified that he wasn't removed from the aircraft. But also, there's a level of understanding that, um, you know, some of these flight attendants face unruly passenger behavior, racist, uh, sexist, uh, homophobic comments themselves. And in this heightened, uh, tense time, um, we've got kind of a perfect storm. So I, I really think that, you know, the, that Delta has done the right thing. What, what do you think, Max? Yeah, I think the, the letter to employees, which, as you mentioned, is also equally a letter to the, the public, was, yeah. was really well done. Uh, I look for consistency in in these kinds of things. In other words, uh, how an airline handles a disruptive passenger should be independent of the disruptive topic or behavior. You're either mm-hmm. disruptive or not. Um, it, it shouldn't matter whether, you know, your uh, political leanings or, or that of the uh, disruptive passenger are in one direction or another. It's either disruptive or not. So, I look for this kind of consistency. I did try to find out if there was any uh, Delta uh, policy online sort of defining disruptive behavior and the actions that should be uh, taken by crew. Uh, Maybe that's not publicly available, but uh, I think it should exist for all airlines. And uh, it is something that the employees of the airline should, should follow consistently. Yeah, for sure. Any thoughts at all, Michael? Well, uh, as I said, I live in Atlanta, so this was front page news here, um, home of Delta. Uh, obviously, uh, in-flight safety and security has definitely been a heightened uh, concern uh, for the entire industry globally uh, since 9-11. Uh, airlines obviously have the responsibility of ensuring uh, the safety of flight, and, and flight crews are on the front lines of, of doing this. Um, uh, after I read Ed Bastian's amendment to Delta employees that the uh, had the captain and crew witnessed the full incident, they would have removed the passenger. Uh, and then their subsequent actions of banning the, the person and, and their comments to the uh, employee workforce um, and obviously apologizing and rebating uh, the cost of the flight to uh, the passengers. It definitely appears uh, Delta is committed to not only the, the safety of their passengers – 
but also their crew ensuring civility in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, personally, uh, as a Delta Diamond Medallion and Million Mile, I especially appreciated Mr. Bastian's comments uh, on Delta's core values and having Delta as a longstanding client of mine. Uh, I'm very, very attuned to those core values, which includes treating uh, others, both passengers and, and employees, with dignity and respect. So uh, definitely, I think uh, we can all benefit from a little bit more civil society. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're we're all in agreement there. Um, well, unfortunately, we're we're rapidly coming to a close. I want to thank our listeners. And rem- remember, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at, at @runwaygirl and remember to use the Paxx hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation; would love to have you. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, Egate Solutions, and I'd like to thank Michael for being our guest. Michael, where can listeners find you at? Um, so I uh, write posts on uh, Expert Connect at uh, CapGemini.com, as well as Michael W. Dennis, uh, one in Dennis, on uh, LinkedIn or MWM Dennis uh, on Twitter. Great. Excellent. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you so much. Well, we'll ask that all of you join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX Podcast. Take care, everyone. 